Welcome to the Real Estate Raw Show, hosted by Joe Mendoza. Hey guys, Joe Mendoza here. Today we're going to be interviewing Travis Watts. He's the Director of Investor Relations at Ashcroft Capital. Now check this out, guys. Some of you out there are active investors. Some of you are passive investors. You don't know where to start. Maybe you're not even investing. You haven't been investing in real estate at all. But today, guys, we're going to be asking all kinds of different questions. So Travis, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So I've got a list of questions here. And just feel free to just run with whatever you want to talk about. Uh, regarding some of these questions. So Travis, for those of the folks in my audience that don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So I kind of like to preface this whole thing with, you know, first and foremost, I'm a uh, full-time passive investor. I kind of lead with that meaning. Uh, so I invest mostly in apartments and I do that through a syndication model. So for those not familiar with apartment syndications, it's basically myself along with, let's say, 50, 60 other investors, and we're all pooling our money together to buy a larger asset. So instead of doing a single family home or a duplex or a quadplex, we are all buying like a 300 unit apartment building. Okay. So I do a lot of that investing with a group called Ashcroft Capital. Uh, those listeners that may listen to Joe Fairless and his podcast, that's Joe Fairless's uh, firm, Ashcroft Capital. So I've been doing that type of model for many years. Uh, I didn't start in that direction. I started probably how a lot of people start with real estate, which is just buying one single family home in my own backyard, renting it out. And so I started scaling that model up over the years. I started in 2009. So sometime around 2015, I just realized that the single family model was not going to be scalable in the way that I thought. It was not going to be a passive approach to investing like I was looking for. And so that's kind of when I went back to the drawing board, discovered syndication investing, and now my wife and I just invest uh, in apartment syndications. So that's what I do full time. And then uh, Ashcroft, uh, yeah. I affiliate with Ashcroft too. So I do some live events with them and I'm part of their investor relations team. And every now and then, Travis, I will interrupt. So don't mind sure. me. <laughs> yeah. Some things that like are super easy to you and come very, very naturally. But to, my, to some of my audience, yeah. they'll, they'll hear a word and like, what's that? So yep. every now Thank and then, you. I will interrupt. So I'm going to apologize in advance. Okay. No, I appreciate it. Thanks. I know I can get on a tangent and a roll. So thank you. Oh, no worries. No worries. So you mentioned syndication, grouping a bunch of investors and being yep. passive. Now you were starting in single family. Correct. How hands-on were you when were you, when you were doing that? Were you the one doing the fix and flip or wholesaling or what were you doing? Yeah, good, good question. Yeah, so I didn't have a lot of resources to go by when I first got started. I certainly didn't have a mentor. I wasn't doing a lot of networking events, real estate meetups, podcasts. So it was just me trapped inside my, my small head <laughs> and then, you know, trying to figure this whole thing out. So I was doing everything from house hacking, which means renting out spare bedrooms in your home so that you can live as cheaply as possible. That's kind of, that was some of the first stuff that I did. Uh, from there, I got into uh, the fix and flips, which yes, I was doing myself in the sense that 
I would buy the property and locate it. And then I would contract a lot of the, the work out because I'm not so much a handyman myself <laughs> and uh, realized I wasn't really that great at doing that. And, you know, when you have to contract everything, your margins get compressed uh, so small to where it really wasn't worth my time. Long story short, did some buy and holds. Uh, those were a lot easier for me. And then I got into the vacation rental space a little bit. And so I was doing some of that myself actively managing and by the way i should i should throw in here i was working a w-2 job during all of this and not only a w-2 job uh i was working in the oil industry so i was working 14 hour days consistently so my schedule would be like two weeks on one week off so i was doing 100 hour work weeks consistently and i just didn't have the capacity at the end of the day to dedicate to this stuff you know every property i would acquire you know, more, it, it just took that much more of my time. And so I just got burned out. I mean, basically I got burned out on my job. I got burned out with the single family stuff. So I had to kind of reinvent this whole process to make it sustainable. And that led to syndications and leaving that, that type of work. So th this is very interesting that you point that out because most people out there are wage earners. They work nine to yes. five, 40 hours, but you were doing 98. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then you were starting to fix and flip homes on the side, it sounds like, right? Right. Yep. That was when my did, side hustle. Yep. When did you get to that point when you said enough's enough, you know what, I'm doing a job 98 hours a week, I'm mm -hmm. fixing and flipping. When did you actually decide that, hey, you know what, I, I'd rather go passive versus being active? Yeah, so it, it's, it's ironic because from day one, I wanted to be a passive investor. And I think a lot of people have this in their head that, uh, you know, that a single family home that's self-managed is passive income because you, you hear that, that term all the time. And, and it may be for a while or it may be with one or two properties, but as you start scaling up and now you have five and six and seven and eight and, and, and when you have eight homes, even if you have a property manager and they're taking care of 90% of everything, that 10%, it still compounds, you know, it still accumulates. And eight properties, you know, with 10% on each is still 80%, you know, it's just not passive is the bottom line. So my, uh, my rock bottom, if you will, <laughs> I took a, when I was doing the oil field gig, I ended up going overseas to go work in the Middle East. That was kind of the last thing I was working on. And so that schedule was really difficult for me. It was 35 days away from home completely. I couldn't even be there. So it was at the point where I'm having to drag family and friends into this whole thing and say, can you go collect that rent check? Can you go check on that sprinkler head? Can you go, you know, whatever, fix that toilet. And then, you know, and I'm of course paying them and all this kind of stuff, but I'm thinking this isn't right. You know, I don't, I don't want to be that person dragging my friends and family into this mess. And I'm sure they didn't appreciate it. They're willing to help me out, but I'm sure they didn't want to. And uh, it was somewhere around there that I thought, you know what, I, <laughs> I just can't do this. You know, this is not going to be sustainable or scalable. So I started researching. I went back to the whole drawing board. I got books. I listened to podcasts. I joined real estate meetups. And I learned about other methods of investing that truly are passive, that truly are hands off 100%. That's what led me to syndications. Perfect, perfect. So folks, I hope you paid attention to that because here Travis was working 98 hours a week 
And then he started fixing and flipping and then realized he just bought himself maybe another job, it sounds like, right? Yeah, two, <laughs> two and a half jobs. Yeah, there you go. I can relate, guys. So I'm not trying to, you know, dog out on Travis because I've been there, done that too. Where like you get in, you go to this boot camp, you think it's a great idea to fix and flip homes. But then you realize later as you're fixing and flipping and getting contractors, et cetera, it's another job. Yep. Right? It it totally is. It totally is. And 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 also importantly, as I somewhat alluded to, even with a property manager, which a lot of people think that can be the saving grace, but it just a lot of times it just isn't. And like I said, if you have one or two single family homes and you have a property manager on them, that might suffice. I mean, that might be somewhat passive, but I'm telling you, once you get to 10, 10 homes plus, if that's going to be your goal, it's not passive. It's just not a passive approach. <laughs> Absolutely. I totally agree with you. <laughs> so you're, you're looking at these groups. You decided, okay, forget this fix and flip model. This is not for me. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm studying. I'm reading books. I'm going to conventions, some seminars, networking. Hmm. I want to get into passive, maybe a joint of syndications. What were some of the different things you started looking out for? Because it, as I read here, you were into 27, maybe more now, passive syndications with 14 different firms. What were you like looking for or were you kind of just testing them out? Yeah. So the new skill set that I had to acquire was how to vet out teams, how to vet out sponsors, right? So I'm being sent deals now. Once I discovered the syndication thing, I'm going online and I'm opting into everybody's website that's doing syndications, right? I'm interested. I'm interested. And so now I'm flooded with deals all the time. And the first mistake I made in that space was just looking at a pro forma, which is the projections of a project that they send you and taking it at, at face value saying, oh, wow, well, hey, this one's, you know, 10% a year and this one says 8% a year. I'm going to go with 10%, right? That's a higher number. <laughs> it was so amateur. And I, and I wasn't even thinking about who is, who's executing the business plan. Who is this team? Have they done that before? Do they have a track record? Can they show me that they've done 10%, you know, over five different deals? I wasn't even thinking about that stuff. So, you know, long story short, they were some amateur newbie groups for the most part, and they couldn't execute the business plan. Thankfully, though, I didn't lose money in the deal. They just got so far with it and gave up, and then they sold it, and we ended up profitable. But that had a lot to do with the market. So nowadays in our market cycle, you need to be, you know, a lot more uh, diligent with, you know, the deals that you're doing. So I had to learn, like I said, to vet out teams, to vet out sponsors, to ask the difficult questions. What if we go into a recession? What if this happens? What if that happens? Have you thought about this? Have you, you know, stress tested this model? You know, what if interest rates go up? What if, you know, and so I had to learn all the, you know, pencil these questions out and ask other people what questions they, they ask sponsors. And, and so now the work has been, so it's front loaded with syndications, meaning I'm doing all the, the heavy lifting, so to speak, up front, figuring out who the team is, the track record, the deal, the market, then making a decision. But once I make the decision to invest, it's hands off. It's passive. I could be for three years, five years, seven years, depends on the business plan. But now I can sit back and relax and then let distributions come back to me without having to manage tenants, property managers, or anybody else. 
Now, so with Ashcraft Capital, are you mm -hmm. guys also participating in other operators' investments? That's a good question. So Ashcroft Capital is a, a multifamily syndication firm based out of New York City, doing a lot of deals out in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, doing deals out in Florida as well. And so they, they offer these opportunities to accredited investors, which are high net worth, high income individuals on a, on a case by case basis. So one deal at a time, it's not a fund or anything like that. It's just, Hey, we have a new deal. It's a, whatever, a 300 unit in Dallas. And then you can choose to take part in that, or you can choose to pass on that deal. That's kind of what their model is. Uh, so they're just doing their own deals uh, independently. They've, they've, almost got about a billion assets under management at this point. So that's a pretty good track record of, I don't know, 35 properties or something like that, that they've done. Um, so they're the example of what my wife and I set out to find was, you know, we wanted to be in Texas and Florida markets. We wanted to be in B class apartments, which means 1980s, 1990s, you know, needs a little bit of work. So we're, you know, the team's fixing them up, bringing the, the rents up to the market level stuff like that and things that pay out uh, monthly distributions by the way because this is my income so i prefer to be paid monthly not quarterly semi-annually or in three or four years if it's a new development deal so we it, it's taken a while but now we have our criteria we know what we look for and um they're just a great you know syndicator in the space to us we're in nine of their deals alone and so I do a lot of events. Uh, you know, you might find me at a, at a real estate convention somewhere behind an Ashcroft booth, helping answer questions about who Ashcroft is and what they do, uh, just from an investor standpoint. Okay, so, great. Appreciate yeah. that. So if an investor, just some random person checks you guys out, or maybe <laughs> meets you at a seminar, and they're kind of like you in the beginning. So they're like, yeah. oh, I never heard of Ashcroft Capital, never heard of Joe Fairless or mm -hmm. podcast sure. or the best ever, blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. some random person. And so they're trying to vet you out. What would be some of the things that they should be looking for? Because you mentioned pro forma. And yeah. so some of my audience, you know, what a pro forma is pretend. It's based on future performance. It's not real yet. So like, right, right. guys, I want you to pay attention to that because there's a lot of people, they're doing these private placement memorandums, <clears throat> excuse me, PPMs. Yes. And they're like, they have this project and they're saying like, here's our return. It's 8%, it's 10%, just as Travis was saying, but you guys do have a track record. So I appreciate that. That's why you're on the show. But if I was some random person just looking yeah. you up, what should I look out for? Yeah. So kind of twofold. There's kind of the, the stats and the facts, and then there's whatever questions are important to you as an individual. And that's obviously different for everybody. So, so the stats and facts. So Ashcroft has a company prospectus. Okay. It's going to show the current portfolio, the past performance, the deals they've taken all the way through, what those results were, all that kind of stuff, the team, the business model, the plan, um, and, and something I look for as a, a individual limited partner investor is to see consistency of business plan. So everything Ashcroft is doing, they're basically doing the same thing over and over and over again. In other words, they don't have their hand in one new development project over here and one mobile home park over there and one multifamily over here. 
because you, you can't spread yourself that thin, in my opinion. I mean, you can't be good at everything. And while some of those deals may pan out, others may not, I don't like the risk associated with that. So I look for teams that are just kind of rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. They know their markets, they know their niche, they've got efficiencies built in, like they're using the same property management company on all of them, uh, or, or their own property management company in, in terms of some other groups. And, and then, like I said, your own question. So for some people, a recession is a very important question to ask because they are personally very concerned with what if we go into a big downturn next year, you know, with this presidential election or whatever, you know, that could be somebody's viewpoint, whereas somebody else could say, oh, I don't think we're going to have a recession. It's a strong economy and I think we're good for five or 10 years. I don't really care about that. So you need to kind of define for yourself, you know, what those questions are all about. So definitely, I mean, the biggest things are going to be the track record. Have they done it before? Is this something brand new, you know, or is this what they do full time for years and years on end? And then kind of show me the results. And then for you, you need to kind of think high level, what maybe markets do you like or what states do you like? You know, what areas would you want to be investing in? For some people, they won't touch California. And for other people, all they'll do is California. So you need to know that, you know, is that a place you want to park your capital or not? And um, so, yeah, it's just defining you and your criteria and your goals and then asking the difficult questions and, you know, reading through the PPM, as you alluded to, subscription agreement, operating agreement, and making sure that you understand. And any questions you have, you need to be asking and you should be getting uh, a timely response and, you know, a competent response, you know, not, not being pushed to the side or, oh, we don't, we don't see a recession coming. Don't worry about it. You know, that's not a good response from a, from a syndicator. They need to at least have thought about it just in case. Awesome. Appreciate that. You mentioned stress tests and one yeah. of these other folks that uh, one of my mentors, one of the other groups that I've been affiliated with, they mm -hmm. stress test deals too. And they yeah. stress test at like, I think they said a 25% vacancy. So guys, when they, they do their pro forma, their future numbers, their stress test is like, okay, what if the property was 25% vacant? Will this mm -hmm. property still perform? That's kind of like their secret ingredient or one of the ingredients to success. What are some of the stress tests or ingredients to your stress test? Yeah, well, that's a, that's so a big question that a lot of investors have is what's the break-even occupancy? So mm. if you've got a you know a hundred unit, which is kind of a smaller deal for Ashcroft, but just simple numbers, uh, you know the break-even might be sixty-five percent occupancy, as an example, meaning that we're not going to go under or below. We're still going to be able to have positive cash flow and returns of some sort at sixty-five percent occupancy, which is very low in the B and C class multifamily space. A lot of times our deals are like 90% occupancy, 95, sometimes as low as maybe 86, 85. So I haven't seen a deal, you know, go that low, but good to think about in terms of recession or some, some catastrophic event in the area, something turns economically there or, you know, tornadoes, floods. I mean, different things can happen, right? So it's important. The other thing is interest rates. Again, some people believe interest rates are going to keep going down and that we're going to go into a negative interest rate environment, while some others think, no, 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 it can't happen like that. It, interest rates have to start hiking up. You know, they're going to be 6% in a couple of years. So everybody has their own philosophy and opinion. So 
uh, a sensitivity test or a stress test in layman's terms uh, will show you what would happen theoretically to the income and the distributions and the equity based on all of these different circumstances up or down. So you can kind of look at these graphs and charts and think, okay, well, you know, we got some wiggle room here and a little wiggle room there and we'll still be profitable in that kind of range if interest rates are 3% or 5%, you know, we've, we've got some margin in there. So that, that's the point of it. Not every group does them, Ashcroft does. Um, so ask for it, you know, most of the time though, it's available to a lot of different groups. So. Awesome. And you mentioned something about dividends, right? For my audience, they're thinking, okay, dividends in real estate, I'm, I'm used to dividends in like stock or something like that. Tell us how that kind of works. So somebody puts X amount of money into one of your investments. Mm -hmm. There's a, is there a lock-in period also? And then how long do the dividends pay out? Yeah, it's a good question. So it's a lot different than the stock market or like a REIT, which is a real estate investment trust that would be publicly traded on the stock exchange. It's a lot different than stuff like that. So we refer to them as, as distributions rather than dividends. So uh, different groups will have different models. Okay, it's important to think, you know, multifamily syndication, they're not all made equal. Uh, there's some syndications that do new development, ground up construction. That's probably not going to be cash flowing for a number of years. Okay, so if you're in a position where maybe you've got some IRA money or something and you're willing to put 50 or 100,000 in to a deal, you might not see any kind of return for years and you may never see a return if, if things don't pan out, you know. So that to me, that, that carries a lot more risk to it. And then you've got B and C class, which is what I commonly invest in. That's more workforce housing. That's more like affordable housing, middle income housing, call it what you will. But um, the things that Ashcroft or the, the projects that Ashcroft is buying are stabilized, meaning, you know, high occupancy already and cash flowing, you know, day one. All right. We already have paying tenants and good rents and solid occupancy and all that kind of stuff. So, they distribute cash flow and income. So everything collected on the property, whether that's covered carports at a premium, self-storage on site, you know, uh, a program called RUBS, you know, resident utility billing systems where the, the utilities are being billed back to the residents. So all that collected revenue gets distributed to you and I, the limited partners in the deal on a monthly basis. And that's something that's critically important to me. Like I said, that's my income. So, um, so what you'll have is a preferred return, okay? Meaning the limited partners are gonna get whatever percentage they deem on that particular deal. Let's just call it 8%. So 8% a year preferred return. All the limited partners get the first 8% of the revenue and the cash flows that are produced before Ashcroft or the general partnership collects their fees and their split. So it's just a way to align interest and to, to put the investors first in the deal. It's in no way, shape or form a guarantee. There are no guarantees in investing, but it's about as close as you get. Uh, it's just saying, I'm gonna get the first 8%. So if you think it's gonna cash flow, you know, 8%, then, then you're, you're sitting in a good spot. So, so that's kind of how it works. There's, there's two parts, there's cash flow, and then there's potential equity down the road upon a sale or refinance, right? The market's lifting it up. We're 
forcing appreciation because we're renovating units and landscaping and branding and clubhouse and management and adding dog parks and new amenities and better gym equipment. So we're, we're creating a win-win for the residents uh, while increasing the revenues and the rents accordingly over time. So, so the cash flow could be, you know, seven, eight, nine percent a year, that, that kind of range, right, for three, four, five years. And then on the back end, you'll have potential equity upon the sale uh, that you can participate in as a limited partner. So you kind of merge those two together and you get what's called an IRR or an internal rate of return. And it's kind of a combination in a sense of equity and cash flow combined. So that's kind of how you look at your total potential return, usually double digit uh, returns on a, on a pro forma, if everything goes according to plan. Awesome. So that's spelled out typically on your private placement memorandum. Yep. Correct. Correct. Yeah. You'll see kind of the, the, the pretty bullet pointed highlights on a, on an overview of a project and then you'll get like the legal doc side of it, which is the PPM and you can read through how all that stuff works. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And then you said something about, um, you know, 8% and that's going to be for, for pretty much the whole time your money is locked in and you're looking typically at accredited investors. Mm -hmm. um, so is there a minimum buy-in and usually what's that amount? Yeah, good question. Every, every syndication group's gonna have a minimum of some sort. Uh, some are gonna have, you know, they're, they're not gonna be flexible. It's gonna be, you know, $100,000 minimum for all people, all investors, always, no matter what. Ashcroft's is 50,000 for a first time investor then they reduce that to 25,000 for returning investors. And the idea being that you can kind of spread your risk out a little bit easier if you want to take part in maybe four different projects and different markets of different asset types or whatever, uh, you can limit your risk that way rather than saying it's 100 and then some folks can only do one or two deals and then that's it. So perfect, perfect. Yep. Now you, you pretty much said you're, you focus on one thing, uh, while other syndicators, they're going multiple different directions. So is the asset class primarily just multifamily or you're looking at other kinds of investments as well? Good question. I do about 80% value add B and C class multifamily syndications. That's So that's definitely the majority of what I focus on. Uh, at the end of the day, here's the reasoning to give you a higher you know, perspective here. I'm looking at recession resistant asset classes, okay? I mean, I fully recognize that, you know, we all have the, the market cycles, right? The ups and the downs. And so when we hit the down period, whenever that may be, this year, next year, five years, 10 years, I wanna make sure I'm in something that historically performs well in a downturn and in an up economy. And so affordable housing fits that bill. Mobile home parks fit that bill. Self-storage can fit that bill. I do some ATM machine investing. Um, so you, you kind of have to back test and look at 2008, 2009, and what did poorly, um, you know, like the stock market uh, in general, <laughs> and then what, what performed better than that. And so that's why I chose these asset classes and why I believe in them. Got it. Now, you mentioned something here on some of the notes earlier about self-directed. Now, some of the folks out there, some of my audience, they're wage earners, right? So they mm -hmm. either have a 401k or a 403b or something like that. 
you know, they go to a real estate seminar, all they hear is self-directed, self-directed. Please tell my audience what that is and how would they maybe invest it in your group or any other group? Yeah. You know, and I was one of these folks without the self-education piece and without attending, like you just said, seminars or podcasts and getting out there in the world. I had no idea that there were such thing as self-directed IRAs. And so kind of paint the picture from a, from a broad spectrum. So most people will have like a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA or 401k held by these, you know, large institutions. I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with a Charles Schwab or Fidelity Investments or TD Ameritrade, Vanguard, whatever. So these are not self-directed. Okay. So what that means is that you can invest in things like stocks, bonds, mutual funds and stuff on, you know, that's publicly traded. Uh, for the most part. I mean, that, that's, that's your options. So if you want to invest in real estate, whether we're talking about a single family home, whether we're talking about a syndication or like physical gold, silver, businesses, LLCs, there's a lot of investments that are deemed alternative investments, which is kind of funny and its own story. But uh, if you want to invest in stuff like that, you have to take your accounts held by these large brokerage firms and change it over to a different custodian that's a self-directed IRA custodian. So, and their fee structure is a lot different. Instead of getting assets under management fees out of like a mutual fund that you're in or something like that and offering you a free account, uh, you pay them like an annual fee in most cases. So just making up numbers here, it could be 300 bucks a year you pay to have this account. That's how they make their money. They make their money on these transaction fees, wire transfers, account opening, account closing, and then annual fees. Well, the trade-off is though, you can invest in what we're talking about, real estate syndication. So you could potentially have, you know, non-volatile or a lot less volatile recession resistant investments, you know, with potential double digit returns and stuff like that, you know? Um, so I've, I've had a self-directed, I mean, a lot of my family now is self-directed and, and it's just funny that the lack of like education out there, I mean, I wish there was so much more on it. I, I used to work for a brokerage firm and I had no idea that self-directeds existed. They didn't teach us anything about it. They didn't even mention it. You know, they don't even want you, they don't even want to put that seed in your head that you might tell someone that's an option. <laughs> they just want everyone to have their mutual funds and their accounts. And so, uh, yeah, definitely look into it. A lot of great custodians out there. Um, I've got a list of, of preferred groups that, that I work with. So feel free to reach out to me too, if anyone's got questions on that. Perfect, perfect. I think I saw also on maybe your bio or one of your profiles out there that you have a Series 7 and a 63 current, or was that before? Uh, that was before. So that's when I was working for the brokerage firm. So, you know, it's kind of interesting. You know, I, I knew I wanted to leave the oil field. I knew I didn't like that job and that line of work. So as I crunched the numbers, realized if I went into all these syndications, I would have enough passive income to replace my active income. I took that opportunity. So I left the oil field. And the first thing I did is I went to go work for a brokerage firm because I thought <laughs> if I learned stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and real estate, I thought I would be some like big guru or something, you know, in the financial world. And that would just complete the puzzle and I would have it all figured out. I just really dislike the system of, you know, Wall Street and the fee structure and the whole deal. So it didn't last long. I was only there like 
I don't know, six, nine months, something like that. And uh, so my Series 7 and 63 has lapsed since then. Uh, but yeah, I did, I did get licensed and I did go through the motions. And uh, it was a positive experience in that regard, but uh, ultimately not what I wanted to do with my time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that's yeah. great. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, for, for your listeners, it's just kind of knowing that, you know, first of all, props to everybody listening to shows like this. I mean, because this is how you get to know and understand all of your options out there. And everybody's different. And some people may be really handy and hands-on and they love working on stuff and tinkering with things. You know, fix and flips and single family could be a really great thing for you. I'm not anti single family homes, but, but for me, not being handy and not owning a tool belt, so to speak, was a horrible approach for me, you know, and me wanting to be passive and hands off. That was a terrible thing for me to do, but it's, it certainly fits the mold for some. So I, I would just suggest get educated, listen to podcasts, read books, join meetups, you know, reach out to folks and network. A lot of people in this industry are willing to help for free. Uh, myself included, right? If anyone wants to learn about anything, right? House hacking, fix and flips, uh, syndications, anything that I do, I'm happy to share anytime. I have phone calls like that all week long for all different types of people. I do it for free because I just, to me, it's about giving back. At a certain point, you kind of reach your, you know, your, your financial freedom number or whatever. And then after that, it's like, you know, what are you going to do, right? I don't want to go retire. I don't want to go sit on the couch. You know, <laughs> I want to stay active and give back. And so that's how I do it. Uh, so yeah, that, that get educated, reach out and, and figure out kind of your goals and your criteria when it comes to investing. Tell my audience, where are you based out of? Best way to reach you. Yeah. Uh, Denver, Colorado, uh, Orlando, Florida, kind of back and forth. My wife works for an airline, so we're, we're always traveling right. and on the go. Uh, and, and plus I go to a ton of uh, real estate seminars nationwide. So you might run into me in Dallas or Houston or LA or New York, who knows? Um, always kind of on the go. I travel a ton. Uh, you can reach me best by email. My email is Travis at ashcroftcapital.com. I'm on bigger pockets. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. So I'm out there. So look me up. Let's connect and happy to help. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thanks so much, Travis, for your time. Guys, check these guys out, all right? I've done a lot of different interviews. I've met a lot of different people. They're definitely on the up and up, but do your own research. Do your own homework. Go to a seminar. Go to their live event. Check them out. Maybe fly over to Colorado. Whatever you need to do to make sure you feel 100% comfortable with who you're going to be doing business with because essentially that's what it is. It's a business venture. And hey, nothing ventured, nothing gained, but also there's also risks. Like Travis said earlier, man, you can lose it all. It yep. doesn't happen, but you got to make sure that you do your due diligence is the most important thing. Check out the players, check out their backgrounds. Nobody's perfect guys. Nobody's perfect. But if you do your part, you could mitigate the risk, right? hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Travis, for being on the show. I totally appreciate your time, your wisdom, your intelligence, everything you gave. Really, really appreciate it. Say hi to Joe for me too. All right. Will do. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. All right. Perfect. Our company is not responsible for the success or failure of your business decisions relating to any information presented by our company or our company programs, products, and or services. 